Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Huge, action-packed double feature for you today. Yeah, I've got two guests for the second week in a row. We're very generous here at SI. First, uh, I've got the Hall of Famer Ben Wallace, former NBA champion with the Pistons, of course. Ben has launched a new cannabis venture. It's called Undrafted, a nod to his own career, of course, which you can learn more about at BW, as in Ben Wallace, BWUndrafted.com. We discussed that new venture as well as a bevy of NBA topics, of course, having to include, had to include, Defensive Player of the Year because Ben Wallace won four of those tied with Dikembe Mutombo for the most ever. Uh, ben Wallace actually second, I should say, in the pod because first up, I've got Stan Van Gundy of TNT and NBA TV. We had a ton to discuss, of course, at this late stage in the season. We get into the Suns' title hopes, why he thinks that Phoenix is absolutely the favorite. 
how far the Grizzlies can go, what the Celtics can do now without Robert Williams, how far can the Nets get after their weird, jagged season. Uh, Plus, Stan gives us his picks for Coach of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year and lots, lots more. Never any shortage of strong opinions when you have Stan Van Gundy on the pod. Before we get to all that, a reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. If you got feedback for me, please hit me on Twitter at Howard Beck. Okay, Stan Van Gundy, followed by Ben Wallace, all coming up next, so stick around. Now, very pleased to welcome Stan Van Gundy. Stan, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm catching you still in L.A. By the time this runs, it'll be Friday, though, so most folks will be listening then. A few things might change, but we're late in the season, so I think most things we will discuss thematically should be fairly constant unless we get any other surprise injuries or surgeries. Um, but I, I want to hit this first before we dive into NBA stuff, because it occurred to me as I was taking getting my notes together for this podcast that the last time I had you on a podcast, not t- last time we talked, but the last time it was a podcast was my previous gig at Bleacher Report, uh, where one of our most popular things, of course, was Game of Zones. And I remember asking you a couple of years ago if you had seen the episode Isle of Van Gundy featuring you and Jeff and many, many, many more Van Gundys, and you had not seen it. It's been a couple of years. Have you seen the episode? I have yet? not. I couldn't find ah! it after that. I couldn't <laughs> find it. Yeah. Uh, I got to get this to you somehow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to text you the link. Um, okay, that'd be great. The, the thing is, what I'd really like to do selfishly, I would rather actually like have you and, and, and Jeff together and me be able to fire up and watch your reactions in real time. <laughs> so do me a favor. Watch it with Jeff and record yourselves for the uh, amusement of everybody else or, okay. or me at least. Sounds good. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so I mentioned I'm catching you in L.A. because uh, it's last night. By the time people listen, this will be a couple of days. But um, you were there for Paul George's return. Um, and I want to get to that in just a sec, but I, I want to just actually start with this because it's a nearly your, your first full season back in the booth again. Um, how do you feel at this time of year, late March, nearing end of season as a broadcaster versus how you, you normally feel this time of year as a coach? Oh, okay. I mean, it's so different. Like I'm not, I'm not nearly as tired. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're doing two games a week, basically. I'm not nearly as tired, and I'm not even stressed out at all. So totally different than where uh, where I was as a coach at this time of the year. Uh, I, I can only imagine. You look relaxed. You sound relaxed. That's a good thing. This is why I always wonder when guys who are as good at doing the TV thing as you are, as your brother is, as, as several others, Doug Collins over the years, I never understand why you would ever want to go back to the sideline. I know it pays better, but, but the stress level, the lifestyle, uh, the trade-off just seems uh, so dramatic. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's not the pay. It's the, of the, at least the people I know and myself, it's the it's the competition. And when you're away from it, you really, really miss it. And you know what it brings, you know, it brings the stress and everything else, but you just miss being in the, in the battle and, and, and competing. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I have um, posited uh, only semi facetiously over the years that uh, coaching is almost an addiction. 
Like th- those of you who are married to that to that career, it's hard to divorce yourself from it. And uh, when you're out, you just want to get back in. Like there is there is this whatever the adrenaline rush, the competition, the camaraderie, all the things that I, I hear from from guys in this role. It just does sound like it's very hard to uh, distance yourself from and, and have that same, I guess, level of satisfaction or the thrill uh, that comes with it. Well, I, I mean, I think you for at least for me. You characterized it perfectly. I mean, my wife says it all the time. It, it's it's more of an addiction at this point than anything. Like, you know it's not good for you, but <laughs> you keep going back um, and keep going back to it. So I, I think that's, at least for me, that the addiction is a pretty good analogy. Uh, well, for all of us speaking on behalf of, I think many of us, most of us, all of us watching a lot of NBA, happy to have you back in the booth, uh, and good to see you, uh, uh, feeling good and relaxed. All right. So you were in the booth to see Paul George's return, a incredible Clipper comeback against the jazz. Uh, both those teams have a habit of, of doing what they just did. Um, what did you see from Paul George after months out? And what do you think it may tell us about what the Clippers, possibilities are in the playoffs, which is a sentence I didn't think I'd be saying a few months ago. I thought they're playing at best. They may not make it at all. No Paul George, no Kawhi. I mean, I wrote this team off. Uh, what do you think of them now? Well, Paul George, first of all, I, I thought for a first game back after basically three months off was incredible. I mean, first of all, he didn't appear to get tired. Um, I thought right from the start of the game, he was very active defensively had steals, a lot of deflections, um, was a little um, tentative for offensively for just the first quarter. And then after that, you know, it was like once he saw the first shot go down, he hit a three in the second quarter. It just opened up the the floodgates, and he looked very comfortable um, after that. And this team has been really resilient, not necessarily – really good without him. They've been under 500, but, but very resilient. I mean, they, you know, they hang in games. Like you said, um, the comeback last night was nothing that they haven't done before. That's now 14 games where they've come back from deficits of 13 or more. Um, I think five of more than 20 or more. They came from 35 down against uh, Washington. But I think last night, might have been their most impressive because of the quality of opponent uh, to come from 25 down was just, uh, it was remarkable. They just kept fighting and hanging in the game and finally got some stops and then were converting every time. So we don't know what Kawhi Leonard's ultimate, uh, you know, fate is going to be this season. I, I tend to doubt that we're going to see him come back. So let's just assume for the moment that it is just now what we've saw, uh, what we've seen in the last few months, plus Paul George now. A team that was incredibly competitive, that hung in there, that stayed um, in, in striking distance of the playoffs, that's going to make the playoffs or play in. And now how's Paul George? Is, is this going to be the proverbial team none of the first or top seeds want to see in the first round? Do you give them a shot of actually winning a series as they are assuming no Kawhi? Well, I think a lot of it depends on that first play-in game, right? I mean, so they're going to get Minnesota, probably, maybe Denver, Dallas, but, but probably uh, Minnesota. If they can win that, with Memphis being a very good but 
inexperienced team and Ja Morant going through some health problems right now, I would definitely give them a chance because they're also, I think, very optimistic they're going to get Norman Powell back, Mm -hmm. which gives them another big weapon. Then I think they would have a chance in a first-round series. But if they lose the first play-in game and they even, say, win the second one, and have to play Phoenix, no. I, I, I just, Phoenix is too good. Like, the, the narrative has been, oh, there's no dominant teams this year. It's wide open. And then I keep looking at the standings and looking at the numbers and yeah. saying you can't dominate a league much more than Phoenix has this year. And I just don't see, without Kawhi Leonard, I don't see the Clippers being able to, to get through a series against uh you know against phoenix uh you've perfectly previewed one of my other topics on my notes list about the Suns, so i'm going to put a pin in that though we'll get back to it you touched on something or or made a a remark about the grizzlies that you know i I believe this after covering the league for 25 years there are certain almost immutable laws of the nba and of, of the playoffs in particular and occasionally they get broken but one of them is young teams that are just making their breakthrough don't usually win at a high level in their first year, right? Even if you're the second seed as the Grizzlies are now, t- typically you got to take your lumps. And and we all believe in that because we've seen it happen so many times over. It feels uh, like that's an immut- immutable law of the NBA postseason. Uh, but the Grizzlies have been really good. And I know, as you mentioned, Ja ha- is is banged up right now. How? So let, let me just let's do the truth test here, Stan. Is it really that hard for a, a young team that, and they were in a playoff series last year, granted, um, but that has not even won a single playoff series together yet. Uh, is, it, is it really the case? And, and, and why is it? Is it? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an easy thing to say, well, they're inexperienced at that level. Is it as simple as that, that the Grizzlies are going to get hit with some things, let's say against the Clippers if they make it, or whoever it may be in the seventh spot, that they're just not used to seeing? Is it the, the adjustments that are going to be thrown at them that they're not used to? Like, what is it that makes it so difficult for the young, inexperienced team, especially when they've had a regular season like this? Like, it feels disrespectful when we say this about the Grizzlies almost, but I believe it also. Well, right. First of all, though, I would say, you know, they were in the playoffs, as you noted, last year. So they have a little better idea of what to expect and then they're also as far behind as they are phoenix i mean they're five full games ahead of you know the warriors so you know i don't know that we really have an analogy for a team that's been that good um but yeah i still think it'll be tough like i could still see a very much a healthy Warriors team, if there's ever going to be such a thing this year, beating them in the second round. I, You know, I could even see Minnesota, you know, beating them in the first round. It's possible. But I believe in this Phoenix team. I mean, I I think, first of all, they're not a one-sided team. They're, they're very good at both ends of the floor. Now, I do think if you look at Memphis, where they're vulnerable, it's not so much their youth. It's To me, it's their style of play offensively. So we've really never seen anything like them. And the numbers they're putting up, they're number one in fast break points. They're number one in points in the paint. 
by a large margin. They're number one in second chance points by the, they have more second chance points than anybody's ever scored in this league. They can't shoot. I mean, other than Desmond Bain, this is not a good shooting team. I mean, the last I checked, they were, you know, solidly into the bottom 10 in, in terms of effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, all of that three-point percentage. So, as we all know, I think the game becomes a little more half-court in the playoffs. I think teams will lock in on their offense and really pack the paint and make them shoot the ball from the perimeter. Now, John Morant doesn't need much space, so even if you're packing the paint, he may find his way in there. But I don't think people are going to give them, you know, 55, 58, 60 points in the paint that they've been getting. I don't think they're going to get 15, 18, 20 fast break points or 18 second chance points. I think those are things teams can lock into and at least make it a real defensive battle. I, I think you can make it tougher on Memphis when you're preparing for a playoff series than teams have been able to do with a one-hour walkthrough on the day of the game. Yeah. No, interesting. Interesting. And and interesting that it is about, in this case, much more than just whether they're young and need to earn their their stripes or whatever, that, that stuff. Uh, I assume there's a little bit of that, too. And part of, you know, being um, successful in the playoffs is, is understanding how to adjust in a series where the team's locked in on you too, right? So when if they're going to take away a lot of their transition and the second chance points and they're going to gum up the game a little bit, not only is it about whether or not they have a sh- have enough shooting, but how they even just handle that 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 change in, in the feel of the game and, and having to work harder for those points. Well, there's no question. I mean, you know, I, I think players will tell you, you know, as they go through their first couple of playoff series, whenever – that is that it's tough because teams are have much more time to prepare and adjust as the series goes on and take away your strengths and you've got to be able to counter those things i worry that memphis doesn't have enough options when those things are taken away like they're not all of a sudden be, going to become a team that can really shoot the ball on the perimeter. I mean, they are totally dependent on the attack, run, attack the basket, get on the offensive glass, and they're great at it, and you better be ready for that kind of relentless assault. If you can't match their energy and intensity, you're going to get beat, but people tend to be able to match that more in the playoffs. I mean, what what Memphis has impressed me with is their remarkable consistency. You know, when they play teams below them and sometimes even teams at their level, they blow them out. I mean, they don't mess around in those games. They come to play every single night. And that's certainly the way to build a great regular season record in the playoffs everybody's going to come ready to play every night. You lose sort of that advantage. And then it's what's the highest level game you have. Um, And it'll be interesting. There's nobody I'm more interested to see in the playoffs than Memphis. Um, And they've been a weird team too, Howard. I mean, 
probably to me the biggest story in the NBA, or at least the most interesting one to me in terms of teams is Memphis is 35 and 21 with John Morant, which is good. I mean, it's good. Um, and they're a very good team. They are 18 and two when he doesn't play and literally obliterate everybody when he doesn't play. So just the other night, you know, they blew out Milwaukee. Now Milwaukee didn't have Drew Holiday, but they had Giannis, they had Chris Middleton, they had Brooke Lopez, they had everybody else. Blew them out without John Morant. I mean, there's no question by the numbers, and, and 20 games, while not a huge sample size, is still pretty good. There's no question when you look at it, the best team in the NBA is not the Phoenix Suns. It's the Memphis Grizzlies without John Morant. <laughs> and I don't know how to explain that because – John Morant is probably a top 10 player in the NBA, and he's an unselfish, team-oriented guy. It's not like you got a guy that's just out getting his numbers, and so he's out, and they play better. Now, their defense is better without him, and that is a jaw weakness. So that does change a little, but not not to make up for all of his offense and not to the level of what they do just blowing teams out. I mean, it's been incredible, that part of it for the Grizzlies. And it looks like they're not going to have him the rest of the regular season. Um, So hopefully they can get through that first round and get his legs back under him and find a way to play as well with John Morant as they've been able to play without him. (laughs) It is the most bizarre aspect of their season and maybe of the entire NBA season. I don't know that there's a, a stranger stat involving a an important and very, very good team. Um, and maybe it is just Jaws defense. There's, I mean, I, I suspect there's more to it than that. I don't know how much further you've delved into it to try to explain it, but um, or if, if there's something observable in that or if it's statistical, but uh, it's, it's, it's uncanny. <laughs> well, it started with the defense. So if you go back, to the beginning of the year, they started the year, they were nine and 10 and they were last in the league defensively and they're under 500. So jaw goes out and they go, I believe 10 and two in that first stretch with him out. And they go from last defensively to first defensively with him out. That was the turnaround. Then the defense, when he came back, dropped a little, but has been very, very solid even with him in the lineup all year. So it's not just that. Jaw's a great player. He's unselfish. Guys love playing with him. I mean, I really struggle to figure it out. And and a lot of Memphis fans, like when I've tweeted about it and things, get upset. Like, oh, well, they haven't played anybody when Jaw's out. I mean, they try to – make excuses. And and I'm not ripping on John Moran. I love John Moran. I can't understand how this is, is even possible, but yes, their schedule has been a little weaker with him out, but they've still beaten good teams also. And they have destroyed people with him out. I mean, they're winning by 20, 30 every night. Their margin of victory is off the charts. Um, it's hard to, Explain. Now, Tyus Jones has had a remarkable year as a backup point guard, perennial leader in assist-to-turnover ratio. 
He has shot the ball better. You know, they get good shots and their defense they can lean on and that attack mentality on both ends of the floor. So we talked about it on offense. They also lead the league in steals, blocks, and turnovers forced. I mean, they are coming at you all the time. And Taylor Jenkins has just done a fabulous job. I mean, there have been several, I think, sort of over-the-top coaching jobs this year. But Taylor Jenkins would be my choice for coach of the year based on what he's done with this team and with a guy the quality of John Moran being out 20 games and being able to win 90% of those, he's yeah. got my vote. I don't have a vote, but he would have my vote if I had one. Uh, we'll get to coach of the year later too. I, def I definitely, I have, a, I have a, re a stupidly long list that I wanted to go through uh, with you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Stan, so let me come back to the Suns because you alluded to this about people saying, oh, it's a wide open race. But then when you look down at the standings and you look at offensive rating, defensive rating, net, every, like all these other indicators should tell us that the Suns are far ahead of the field. And I don't doubt that. But 
This is something I often bring up when we, people are asking about, uh, you know, comparing, contrasting these teams or who should be dominant, how, you know, whether we're in October or whether we're in the start of the playoffs trying to predict how this is all going to pan out because we spend way too much time trying to predict this stuff. Um, in the NBA, because we, this is such a star-driven league, we are so used to, especially in this particular era, of seeing super teams dominate, right? We had basically a 12-year run starting with the Celtics of Pierce, Allen, and Garnett. Then you've got the Heatles of LeBron and Wade and Bosh. We got the Warriors. And it's just the last couple of years that we've had non-super teams, right? Teams with great talent. You know, Kawhi Leonard, Siakam, and Lowry is, is great, but it's not a super team like the ones we were seeing with the Warriors and the Heat or the Celtics even before that. Um, so the, the Raptors were built a little bit differently. And then that's followed by a Laker team with, you know, two stars in the bubble for what that's worth, LeBron and AD and role guys. And then we have the Bucks of last year. And yes, Middleton and Drew Holiday have both been all-stars. But again, Giannis and those two does not feel like a super team in the way that we're used to it in the past, which brings us to the Suns. Devin Booker, an MVP candidate. He will be on a lot of ballots, maybe not at the top, but somewhere in, in maybe that three to five range. Devin Booker will be, and he'll be all NBA, maybe even all NBA first team. I haven't actually gone through it all yet myself. Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer, albeit one late in his career, still effective. Aiton is, is really good, and Bridges is really good, and Cam Johnson, and they got depth and all this other stuff. They don't look like the typical, ooh, you know, dominant super team, or even like the Shaq and Kobe Lakers or the Michael and Scottie Pippins, right? There's something about star power in this league that influences and maybe warps our perceptions of how we view a team and whether they are quote-unquote dominant or the odds-on favorite or the lock to whatever. So this is my, my pseudo-counter to the Suns thing where I think, I think, and partially because the Warriors fell back, the injuries and everything else, you know, they looked like they were a, a favorite early on. Everybody else in the West is, is kind of in, in, a, in weird states of, of disarray or, or missing pieces. Um, but I'm... I'm I, I believe my eyes when I look at the Suns and say they are they are deserving of that favorite status, but I also look at it and I think they don't feel dominant because they don't have the marquee names in the way that we're used to them being stacked up in this era. Does that make sense? Well, it does, and I you know I think part of it is they're in Phoenix, they're not in L.A., they're not in Miami, they're not you know. Um, but I'll, I'll go the other way on that. I, I look at this Phoenix team, and I've asked this of a lot of people, too. Where's their weakness? Yeah. Like, where's their weakness? I mean, they have done a good job, like, both at the coaching level and the GM level. Like, you know, they went into that series last year. They lose to Milwaukee 4-2, and they come out of it and thinking – that they needed more size. When Aiton was out of the game, they struggled. So they get JaVal McGee. Now they get some injuries with Aiton during the year. They go get Bismack Biombo. So they have taken care of all of that. I mean, Mikel Bridges, when we're talking super team or not super team, that backcourt is probably the best backcourt in the NBA with Chris Paul still playing at an unbelievably high level and Devin Booker. And then Mikel Bridges, he's a star, but just not the way we're used to seeing a star. Right. He is maybe the most, well, the numbers would say he's right at the top as the most efficient perimeter player in the league with his shooting. Cam Johnson 
has become a great player. They've still got Crowder in there. They've got the three centers, and Aiton's gotten better. Campaign can play. They went and got Landry Shamit. They brought back Torrey Craig. Like, anything that could happen in a game, Monty Williams has got an answer to on his bench. They also do not play a really volatile type of game. In other words, they're not, to me, reliant. They shoot the threes well. They don't shoot a ton of them. You know, they get shots closer to the basket. They So they're, they're not going to have this volatility where, you know, you're not going to see many games with the Suns. They might go four for 20 from three, but they're not going to go six for 40 from three. That's not how they play. So there's not that volatility factor. They're in the top three in the league offensively and defensively. I've seen them win low-scoring, grinded-out games. They can win that. And if it becomes a shootout, they can win that. You know, uh, the only thing, I guess, they're not a great defensive rebounding team, but there's really just not a lot of weaknesses there. And then in the fourth quarter, to me, they're the most precise team. They're the best executing team. They make the fewest mistakes. I know this. If you're going to beat the Suns, and I'm not even talking in a seven-game series, but even in one game, let alone beating them four times in the series, you're going to have to beat them because they're not going to beat themselves. They're not going to make mistakes. They're not going to screw up sets. They're going to set screens. They're going to execute. They're going to get good shots. Look, I think... They're not a lock. Nobody's a lock in Milwaukee getting Brooke Lopez back, and they're the defending champions. There's a lot of teams I like, um, but they're pretty dominant. I mean, to me, they're a strong favorite. You certainly don't see anybody beating them in the West, it sounds like. It's, it's more a matter of hard time seeing that. I mean, I thought the best chance, and I would agree with you on this, is it looked for a long time early in the year that – they and Golden State were on a collision course, but Golden State's a little bit of a mess. Now, maybe by the time Golden State got to them, Golden State, you know, let, let's assume that Steph Curry gets back for the playoffs. Yeah, They can get through the first round, and maybe by the time they get to the Suns, they'll have had some time together, and that can be a really good series because – a full-strength, highly functioning Warrior team is good enough to to give the Suns all they want. That could be a great series. But if they had to go play that series right now, even with Steph Curry, I think the Suns would win it easily. That The poor Warriors just haven't had time together. You know, they got that celebration. Clay's coming back. Great. Draymond's out. Yeah. Now Draymond's coming back, great. Oh, Steph's out. Like yeah. they just haven't been able to get it together. But it's not all bad luck. That's what happens to older teams. Let's face <laughs> yes. it. And the Clippers are going to go through it. Like I, Clipper fans, you're here last night, and they're all like, "Hey, next year we're going to have all these guys." And I'm like, "Well, calm down. All these guys are over thirty. You're going to have injuries next year too. That's just the way." It's the way it goes in this league. So 
The Warriors have hit some tough luck, but part of it was predictable. Okay, so out east, it's easy to just default to the Bucks as defending champions, which is something I have done several times in conversations this season. Um, but the Celtics were so dominant the last couple of months, and just as we're all getting used to the idea that, you know what, maybe it's the Celtics, and then Robert Williams goes down and has knee surgery for a torn meniscus and is out for four to six weeks. Um, I guess I swing back to the Bucks. I haven't ruled out the possibility of the Heat, although last week certainly made us all a little um, skeptical of their chemistry suddenly. Things got a little weird. Uh, the Sixers are in this thing, but everybody's got some some strange caveats right now. Uh, do you see a clear favorite in the East? Um, and, I, and I should, I guess, at least throw in the possibility that the Nets crash this discussion as well. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? So we don't know how the seedings going to end up, but the Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are a real wild card, and they're playing they're playing well right now. I mean, they've won eight out of 11. They are playing well. And so they're going to be tough to stop. We know that. So if you look at what's going to happen, either one of those top four seeds, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, either one of them or Brooklyn is out in the first round. There's no way around that. One of those teams does not get through the first round, and you're going to have a fan base in an uproar in any of those five cities if they don't get through the first round. So you've got that. Now, I don't think anybody else can challenge those four teams in a first-round series, including Boston, without Robert Williams. I would have said that everything from that point on is a toss-up. I don't think Boston, without Robert Williams in the second round, um, can beat anybody, though I will say Brad Stevens made a, a hell of a move that was under the radar, yeah. and this is why James Jones has done it in Phoenix. Every position on your roster, even down to your last man's important, because the Tice pickup is now huge for them yeah. because they've built the best defense in the league, and one of the things that they've done is – They've countered all the small ball stuff by playing two bigs together, and they never go small. I mean, never go. They're always going to have at least one center in there, and they usually are going to have a second big, whether it's Grant Williams or now Tice in there. They're going to stay relatively big the whole time. That's how they built it, and Tice now becomes a big piece. But Tice isn't Robert Williams. I mean – to me, the three candidates for defensive player of the year, the best perimeter defender has been Mikel Bridges in Phoenix. And then I would actually put Robert Williams third just ahead of Rudy Gobert as a defender inside. I, he's been the best defender on the best defensive team in the league. The way that Ime Udoka has used him has been brilliant. Um you know, they changed his matchup, which I thought was interesting. He doesn't guard centers now. They put him on the worst shooting perimeter guy they can find. Let Al Horford guard the center and be the primary pick and roll defender. And use Robert Williams III as a guy who can roam more. And coming in challenge in shots, they can switch with Robert Williams. 
I mean, he's been incredible. Plus, he's obviously the big lob threat. It really takes away from their offense now on the pick and rolls. I mean, Al Horford can pop or short roll, but they don't have now that guy to go to the rim for the lob. It changes their offense. I don't think they get through the second round, but I still think that leaves Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn if they get through. Call all those series toss-ups to me. Yeah. So a nice short answer, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, thorough, I like to call it. That's a thorough answer and thoughtful one. Um, but it certainly sounds like you feel like if, if there's not some miracle quick recovery from Robert Williams, which who knows? Like you never know how, you know, everybody's surgery is different. Everybody's knee is different. Teams mess around with these these time frames too. They sometimes, I think, uh, make them sound longer uh, just so that they can then have the guy beat the, the timeline and make them look good. Um, not accusing anybody of anything. Possibly happens though. Um, but if Robert Williams is not in the mix, it seems like you're you're not real confident in what the Celtics can do at least past the first round without him. No, I mean, the thing with the Celtics is as good as they've been, they're not a team with real good depth anyway. I mean, that's probably a weakness of theirs. And Robert Williams has just been so important at both ends of the floor. Um, you know, whether Ime Udoka now decides to go with Grant Williams as a starter or plays Tice in there instead of, you know, Robert Williams a third. You've got to step down. And then obviously your depth now takes a step down and they don't have a, a ton of depth anyway. You know, so that's that has not been a strength of theirs. I just when you get to this, I think they'll win in the first round. But, you know, if I look at them playing Miami, Philly, Brooklyn, I, I have a hard time seeing them get through. Celtics fans are probably thrilled with your uh, elevation of Robert Williams, replacement of him um, high in that defensive player of the year pecking order. And they're probably um, disconcerted by you uh, naming Mikhail Bridges the best perimeter defender over Marcus Smart. So does, is how far behind is Smart? Well, look, I, I think Marcus Smart brings a lot to the table. He's got a, you know, he's got that Pat Beverly bulldog in him, but he's stronger and bigger. Yeah. Um his toughness and strength has allowed them to excel in that switching defense. They switch almost everything, um, you know, and it's also the reason they went and got Derek White to yes. take the place of Schroeder because Schroeder was small and they had to make other concessions. So here's the thing with Boston. The only guy on their team or in their rotation, I should say, who's not a plus defender, is Peyton Pritchard. And the bottom line is, in a playoff situation, if somebody's really going at Peyton Pritchard, which everybody tries to do, and it's not working enough or he's not making enough shots to make it worthwhile, they'll just pull him off the floor and play with a shorter rotation. So this is an outstanding defensive team. Um, I think the Marcus Smart thing, he's a good defender. I'm not even sure he's their best perimeter defender. Like Jalen Brown yeah. and Jason Tatum to me are both outstanding defenders with incredible length. Um, I, I just, they're so good defensively that the only guy who really, they all stand out to me compared to the rest of the league. The only one who stands out compared to the rest of them to me 
is Robert Williams. Yeah. All right. Let's let's touch on the Nets real quick before we uh, hit the coach of the year stuff. Um, we talk in this league a lot, and I wrote this the other day. We always talk in this league about the importance of chemistry and continuity and cohesion and camaraderie and all these wonderful C words um, that are so important to a team. As a basketball matter, not necessarily whether guys like each other, that kind of chemistry, but just the chemistry that comes with a lot of reps together. So Kyrie has played whatever it's been, a third to a fourth of the season, um, and he's just now finally going to play a bunch of games in a row because it's, it's no longer a home road thing. So they do get some nice momentum down the stretch here of him and KD and that group, that new group together. And it is kind of new because guys are in new roles. Seth Curry and Andre Drummond just got here to Brooklyn. And Ben Simmons is still looming there somewhere. Maybe he's going to play in the regular season. Maybe he won't. Maybe he's going to come back for a play-in game. Maybe it's a playoff game. We, we have no idea. And so I feel like there's still a little... Uh, just these variables, this volatility with the Nets, like the, the talent of Kyrie and KD together is undeniable. The supporting cast, the defense, maybe some concerns about, is there enough time, Stan, given that, you know, chemistry matters, especially in the, in the postseason. Other teams have been together all season or maybe multiple seasons and have had time to really establish a rhythm and figure out, you know, you know how, to, how to play off of each other, where guys like the ball, all that stuff. If if the Nets are are far behind everybody else in that, is is talent alone enough? And and what do you think of the idea of taking a guy like Ben Simmons, who has not played in almost a year period, and has never played with the Nets, and as talented as he is, just throwing him in there at this time of year? Like I I feel like that's a lot to overcome. Yeah, I the Ben Simmons part of it to me um, has as much chance to be a negative as a positive for this year. And I'm the biggest Ben Simmons fan in the world. I don't think anybody has promoted Ben Simmons more than I have. I, I, I love everything about him. Of course, I'd love it if he could shoot the ball better, but, but I love his game. But Ben Simmons is a hard guy to integrate on the fly. His game is different. You have to play differently. Your spacing changes. It takes time for Ben Simmons. You know, having Kyrie out and he comes back, I mean, he's a guy with a ball and he can shoot the heck out of it and make plays. He doesn't change anything. Integrating Andre Drummond into it, who's basically going to be a lob guy on pick and rolls and a rebounder, easy to do. Another shooter in Seth Curry, welcomed, easy to do. You know, um, but Ben Simmons would be different. But look, I think they've, number one, got enough time. Kyrie will have played road games, and he and Durant will have played together. I think they'll be okay in that regard. It's going to be hard to stop them at the other end. I don't think chemistry is going to be the issue. I think the issues are going to be, can they get any stops at all defensively, and can anyone other than Andre Drummond ever get a rebound? I mean, you know, defense and rebounding have been their problems. And and then you look at, I think they'll win the play-in game. So they'll be in the seventh spot, let's say. We don't know who's going to be second. They're going to have to beat Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston. And I would say probably not Boston because I don't know how Boston could hang on to a second spot. They're third right now without Robert Williams. So – they're going to have to beat Miami, Philly, or Milwaukee. 
that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for those teams to beat them either, but it won't be easy. Now, if they can get through it, every round you go, they're just building more and more confidence, chemistry, sure. everything else. I mean, we saw them last year with the injuries, and they still were inches away from beating Milwaukee. So with those two guys out there and plenty of shooting around them, with Patty Mills and Curry, I think Drummond helps them. Yeah, I mean, they've got a they've got a, as we would say in boxing, right, a puncher's chance for sure. Yeah, uh, albeit operating from a strange position and from the play in and all that. And I I was looking at this the other day. There's at least the possibility, depending how things finish out these next two weeks, they might have to go through three fifty plus win teams to make the finals. Which oh, would they be probably would. Yeah, no yeah. question, they would. I think. Um, yeah. There's just no way to get around that because the best they can do is finish seventh, right? Yeah. And then they're going to get the second seed. If they finish eighth, they'll get the top seed. I don't know what matters, seventh or eighth. You just got to get in because you don't yeah. know who's going to be first, second, or third. I'm sure all those top four teams would would love to avoid Brooklyn in the first round, but you don't know how – you don't know what's going to happen with Brooklyn. So there's no way to – to really avoid them at all. So it's going to be, I think, really, really interesting in the East how all the seedings break down and where the first rounds are. And and not to negate Chicago, Toronto, or Cleveland. I just don't see them being able to to win a series. Toronto would have the best chance, but I still don't see it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, All right, let's finish up on Coach of the Year. so we usually, the way that we end up voting in the media on this award, it's funny. It takes a couple different forms. Most of the time, I think we end up giving it to the coach whose team exceeded expectations the most, the team that's, that surprised us the most, right? So the Taylor Jenkins, Memphis Grizzlies scenario, and you were talking about that earlier. Um, but we also have a bunch of those kinds of teams this year. The other category is occasionally a Greg Popovich actually wins it for being a great coach of a great team that won 60 plus games or something. Um, but more often than not, it goes from somebody who the team made a big leap and we couldn't see it coming. They made the most out of the least, that, that kind of category. And so drawing from both of those categories, and there's some overlap too between the two. I came up with like 11 guys the other day, which is ridiculous. It's a third of the league. Like, Oh, I, but know, that's but, where I'm sort of at. I think that's all. <laughs> to me, so, the two hardest ones, Howard, this year, yeah. when I was looking at it, somebody had questioned me and I started looking at it, um, were coach of the year and most improved player. Mm-hmm. I can do the other ones all pretty, pretty quickly and easily, at least get it narrowed down to a couple guys. But most improved in coach of the year to me, are hard, and I had a long list on Coach of the Year also. So this was my list. I'm sure they're similar. Taylor Jenkins, Ime Udoka, Monty Williams, Teron Liu, J.B. Bickerstaff, Mike Malone, I, I, perennially underrated and underappreciated, I think, for what he's done there. We take we give Jokic a lot of credit, rightfully, for what the Nuggets have done with no Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr., but Mike Malone keeping that thing together and getting the most out of the rest of the cast uh, should be noted. Uh, Billy Donovan, Jason Kidd, Chris Finch, Steve Kerr, Eric Spolstra, all for different reasons or, you know, some similar reasons. Um, some of those I'm going to be able to, to knock out quicker than others, right? It's like, I'm probably, it's a three-man ballot. I, Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra probably won't be there at the end. Um, I think I'm leaning pretty heavily toward Jenkins, Udoka. I, I feel like Tyloo has to be on there. I voted for Monty Williams last year, thought he should have won. He actually had the most first place votes, but lost on points to Tibbs. Um, 
I'm tempted to, to to get money back in there again. It's but it's it's it, this is a this is a really tough one this year. Stan, when you look at it, do you do you see it the same way that we in the media do? Uh, and you're you are part media now too, but you have the coaching background. Um, do we lean too far sometimes toward the oh wow that team really surprised us so that guy's coach of the year um, or or do you kind of see it the same way? Yeah, no, sort of the same way. I, I think again I started with a long list to me. Um, what Monty's done has been incredible. I mean, you know, 61 wins with still seven games to go. Um, and really impressive going 11 and four without Chris Paul. I thought that was an impressive streak. And just how complete that team is and how disciplined that team is, I think it's been incredible. The thing with Taylor Jenkins and why I put him at the top is. I just haven't seen teams this young do this. Yeah. I mean, to be so good at both ends of the floor, you might get a young team and you see their talent and they're great offensively and their defense breaks down. But, I mean, they're a top five or six team at both ends of the floor. I mean, that's the thing that does it. And then the 18-2 and two record without your best player, I'm like, my gosh, this is, this is incredible. Um, I like what Jason Kidd's done with the defense there. I'm, I'm certainly with you on Michael Malone. I mean, that's been incredible to me where they are. And Chris Finch is right there too. I mean, I, I think what Chris has done and, you know, we knew that team had offensive potential and we knew that Chris was a, was noted for his offensive acumen, like, so you put those things together, it was pretty easy to predict that that was going to be a good offensive team. But they're an above-average defensive team, too. And they've showed the grit that they haven't shown before. I give him a ton of credit. Those would be my, my four teams in the East. Though, I think, I mean, in the West, though I think Willie Green deserves some, some mm-hmm. notice there. I mean took over a team that didn't make the play in last year, doesn't have his best player all year long. Ingram has missed a ton of games, and they're going to make the play in. So and they I'm made a major sure. trade. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trade was good, and the Valanciunas trade was good for them. That was a trade that actually ended up helping both teams. I'm not sure I you could put Willie with a record, you know, 11 games under 500 in your top three but he's done a great job. I think Spolstra has done an incredible job. Now I'm biased. I worked with Eric for yeah. 10 years, so I'll admit my bias, but come on, man. They were winning games with Max Struess <laughs> and Cody Martin and Gabe Vincent and Omar Yurtsevin. Those guys were winning games. I mean, they, they have rarely had their whole team. Duncan Robinson has had an off year. You know, Butler and Adebayo hurt, and they're sitting at the top of the East. I mean, it's been absolutely yeah. incredible. I'm with you on Ime Udoka. Um, those would be my two guys probably in the East. J.B. Bickerstaff should be in that group. He should because the only reason they've fallen is the injuries just – piled up so high and they absorbed everything until Jared Allen went down. 
They were built on defense. Jared Allen was like Robert Williams is to Boston. So their defense has not been as good and they can't win games. So I'd throw him in. That would leave me down to seven guys. But at the end, I just have a hard time getting beyond what Taylor Jenkins has done um, really over the last couple of years to yeah. get this team. They are so young. I mean, Steven Adams is their veteran. He is not even 30 years old. I mean, you know, it, it's they don't have a guy in their rotation who's 30 years old. And most of them are real young. And they've just done an incredible job. I, I, I would have to give it to him. And it's hard for me not to give it to Monty with 61 yeah. wins. I mean, and counting. <laughs> it's 61 wins. And boy, I, there's nobody I want to watch play more as a coach, Howard, than the Phoenix Suns. I mean, because it's not just their talent, their discipline, and they're so connected defensively. I, I just, you know, I go, that's why I'm picking them to win it. Like, Where's the weakness? I don't see it. No, I I agree. Um, all right, I, I should I should hit back or, or or come back to this one quick thing uh, as long as I got you here because you are as steeped in hashtag heat culture as anybody. You know heat culture as well as anybody. What the heck was that? <laughs> the Spolstra Butler Udonis Haslam keyboards flying f-bombs fly like i mean i know this happens sometimes stan and a lot of times these things happen not on tv and not in front of us and so we don't see it and i get that but good lord (laughs) that was that was spectacular um well it was a little different that's for sure Um, and then they lost a bunch of games and it's hard not to tie those things together frustration piled up and you know the tension piled up we don't normally see it but it does happen on every team at some point or another, um, or at least almost every team. So I wasn't that surprised. I was surprised to see it in a game. Um, it's probably the most um, upset I've ever seen Eric. So so that changed. But I also know that they've weathered a lot of those things over the course of Eric's head coaching career, and he's got a great ability to sort of put everything in the rearview mirror and they'll go on and compete. And look, they knew Jimmy Butler has had those kind of issues everywhere, right? And so they knew that their locker room, their roster, um, their coaching staff was built to be able to handle situations like that. I think they'll... I think they'll be fine. I mean, I thought the best part of that whole thing was Udonis Haslam. I mean, he wasn't having it, you know. And, (laughs) you know, normally, I don't care where you are or how long somebody's been there, normally the star is going to have the strength to overcome all of that, but not with Udonis Haslam, who's a remarkable person to have around, and he just wasn't having it. And... He made that very, very clear. Um, but I don't think we'll see any carryover of any of that, of that going, going forward. I think the issue more for the Heat is, you know, those other guys have played so well. Like, should you, and I'm sure this is going through Eric's mind and he would never say it, but should you be playing Duncan Robinson ahead of Max Struess? 
Now, right now, my opinion, I'm from the outside. Max Struess at this point is a demonstrably better player this year than Duncan Robinson has been. Now, the threat of Duncan Robinson is still so huge that he creates opportunities for other people. He's versed in the way they want to play. I get all of that. But the energy of the Max Struess and the Caleb Martins and the Gabe Vincents, are those other guys going to be able to conjure up that kind of energy in the playoffs? That's going to be interesting to see. Um, if I had to bet, I, I look at an Eastern. Well, it depends on how the seedings go, but I think Miami and Milwaukee are the are the two that I like in the East. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I would never underestimate the Heat. I mean they don't have you know they don't have the guy the way that the Bucks have Giannis and the Celtics have Tatum. The Nets have KD and Kyrie. Like the the Heat don't have that all-purpose offensive generator who can just manufacture out of thin air. Um, I feel like like, but d- defensively and their toughness and a lot of playmaking. Everybody, you know, a lot of good passing on that team. I and a I, lot of shooting and a lot of and shooting. A lot of shooting. Even with Duncan, you know, Robinson that's slumping. the thing. Butler and Adebayo are both guys who can make plays. They play through them, and then you've got Tyler Hero, who's the best bench player in the league can really score. And then you've got Robinson, Struess, Vincent, Martin. I mean, PJ Tucker has shot the ball real well. Kyle Lowry. And now their toughness is just, that's the physically probably the toughest team in the league. Um, I still think Milwaukee's probably better. Everybody at full strength. I still like Milwaukee. Brooke Lopez looks good to me. You know, he can still play the role that he's played all these years. They needed him back to have some size. I'd still probably pick them. If I had to pick it, I'd pick them and Phoenix to be right back in the finals again with a different result this time. Well, and, and by the way, since you mentioned Jimmy Butler and his reputation uh, or his his past, uh, there's also one of the all-time greatest Game of Zones episodes featuring Jimmy Butler uh, and that Timberwolves team that he was part of. Uh, that one's also worth looking up. Um, I'll send you both links. Okay. Stan, this, is, <laughs> this, has been a lo- this has been a blast, folks. Uh, stay tuned because after Stan, we still have Hall of Famer Ben Wallace coming up for the latter part of the episode. Uh, Stan... This has been great, man. Thanks so much. We'll have to do it again during the playoffs. Thank you very much, Howard. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Now, very pleased to be joined by not just an NBA legend, but probably one of the most unique players in NBA history, Ben Wallace. Ben, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, a lot of NBA things I would love to chat with you about, which we'll get to, but let's start with this. Um, you have just launched a new line of cannabis, uh, cannabis products. If people are watching the YouTube version of this podcast, they can see Rare on your hat, R-A-I-R. That's the uh, the company you partnered with, Undrafted. Not only a motto for you <laughs> on the sweatshirt, <laughs> but the name of the cannabis line. Um, so you've, you've just launched this line of cannabis products and... You know, you are not the first NBA player to do this in recent years. This seems to be some somewhat of an emerging trend. What brought you or or led you uh, into this particular business uh, business endeavor? Um, you know, one of the biggest thing is, you know, um, he- hearing all the stories about, you know, some of the guys, some of the players, some of the coaches, you know, that once they retired, you know, from basketball, you know. Um, being hooked on anti-inflammatory and painkillers, you know, um, and the fact that they was able to use cannabis, you know, as a replacement for anti-inflammatories and painkillers all in, you know, all in one, you know. So that was my biggest thing. You know, it's it's um it was the health kick for it. You know, it's a tremendous um, you know, um health need for it because it it does, you know, um relaxes the pains. You know, take some take down some of the swelling, and um, and you don't, you know, you don't get hooked on um, you know, um, drugs that do that do damage or harm to your body. Yeah, I think um, people probably don't appreciate or understand this, and part of that's probably on us in the media for not probably reporting on this enough. But um, the strength of anti-inflammatories, the the intensity of the anti-inflammatories, guys. Uh, in the NBA and I'm sure all the other sports as well have to take, uh, it does damage. I mean, we remember, you know, years and years ago, there were some uh, concerns about kidney issues. I think I don't, I'm trying to remember if Alonzo Mourning's kidney issues were tied to that. And I remember there was some coverage 20 years ago or so about the concern that teams were just over prescribing, that guys were popping these things like candy. I remember Rick Fox telling me about back in the day, like, yeah, I just walk in every day. They just like pour a, you know, pour me a handful. Um, 
how how much of a concern has that been in NBA locker rooms? Uh, you know, during your career, it's obviously been ten years since you've been in the league. But what are we not getting about how we treat pain in professional sports? Um, I think the biggest thing is that um, that the pain that professional athletes have is a little bit different than the, the pain of a you know the, the average person. You know, because our ligaments and are stretched and you know pulled to the max every day you know um you know a lot of people take for granted the fact that you know we run up and down that basketball court and it's something that we love to do you know don't wouldn't change that you wouldn't change that job <laughs> wouldn't trade that job for anybody but the, the thing is it does take a toll on your body and you know anti-inflammatories and you know painkiller you know it works but it works at a price, you know, it, you know, the ligaments, you know, your ligaments, you know, your body not going to produce any more ligaments, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, you can stitch them back together and do whatever you want. But the fact that once they start to deteriorate, you know, it's, it's no coming back from it. And a lot of the time the anti-inflammatories, you know, it's, they work, but they work sometimes too well to, yeah. and, start to deteriorate their ligaments and stuff like that. And, and for, you know, it, you know, guys start to, you know, have chronic pain that now they got to pop more painkillers to try to get rid of. And that's what leads to the addiction of painkillers. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, uh, it's a seriously uh, concerning cycle for a lot of guys, I think. Um, and so, you know, look, this has become um, a, a, an, an area of, for a uh, business for, guys after their careers that, that a lot of guys are now going into. As I mentioned earlier, Al Harrington a few years ago. Um, Chris Weber has invested in cannabis. Uh, I think Allen Iverson, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, John Wall. Do you think, Ben, it's because you guys have like this, this kind of shared experience? Like You know what it's like to go through the bruising nature of an NBA season, all that goes with it, all the pain that goes with it, and the difficulty in trying to treat the pain and do it in a way that's not addictive, that's not harmful, to your body long-term. Um, it, it do you think that's why we've seen so many NBA players in particular invest in, uh, in this sec uh, sector? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like I say, it, it, the study shows that, you know, it does help, you know, it does help short-term and long-term. So I think that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the biggest issue that a lot of people be missing, you know, um, you know, most over-the-counter drugs help short-term, but has a long-term effect. You know, um, with with cannabis, you know, we, it's been shown that the short-term and the long-term effects are both great. You know, it's not it's not one of those things where you you, you feel better today and you got to suffer tomorrow. So that's one of the things that we're trying to get away from. And, and you know, we have countless the number, you know, people come forward, you know, who who's tried it, and, you know, now they said he would have it any other way. So so the research is there and, you know, the, it's been proven that cannabis does work, you know, for uh, for joint joint pains and aches and swelling and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's it's only it's only right and it's only natural that, you know, athletes get involved because, you know, we we we're at the top of the We're at the top of the chart right now when it's when it comes to, um, you know, taking care of our bodies. You know, I, I think it was like maybe Braun and Steph Curry talk about 
you know, spending a million plus dollars a year on their body. And, you know, that shows you how important, you know, your body is because your body is your money maker. And if you can, you know, take a little cannabis and, you know, take care of that body without causing any side effects in the long run, then why not try it? Yeah. So it's interesting, Ben, because like in the course of your career, um, you, marijuana was still carrying that stigma. Right. And it's changed so rapidly in the last five to 10 years uh, since since your retirement. We've seen decriminaliz- uh, decriminalization efforts all across the country, legalization efforts. It is so common now. Uh and and I think very much destigmatized to the point where even David Stern a few years ago, I think on Al Harrington's own podcast when when Al was launching his efforts, David said, uh, you know what, maybe we got to reconsider this as a league. Maybe this should be off the band list. Hasn't happened yet. Adam Silver, I think, has kind of, you know, talked about, hey, we'll revisit. But it, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe in the next CBA. Um I, I imagine I know the answer to this, Ben, but uh, <laughs> is it time to remove this from the banned list? Does it even matter? Because my suspicion is most guys are probably using it anyway. Um, yeah, I think we should take a closer look at it as far as removing it from the um, from the banned issue. You know, but I think the biggest thing first is, is um, trying to figure out a way to regulate it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, make sure that it's being used for medical purpose purpose and not, you know, just a whole lot of um, recreation purpose. Sure. But I definitely think, you know, it, it's, it's worth, you know, revisiting it and taking a look at it for sure. Um, and of course there's, you know, there's legal aspects of this too. I think Adam Silver, one of the things he said he was concerned with is that because it's not universally uh, decriminalized or universally legalized, if you say as a league, it's okay, guys decide, okay, cool. I could pack it on the road. I can use it to help go to sleep and that or whatever else. And then you cross state lines and you get busted and that's a problem. So there's some logistical issues, I suppose, still to work out. Yeah. Um, it's still some, still some things, you know, you, you have to look into, you know, as far as state to state, you know, legalization or whatever, but, um, but, you know, like everything else, it's going to take a little, going to take a little more time, but um, I definitely think, you know, with this, we're on the right path. You know, the other aspect of it, um, and I just mentioned this a minute ago, about just kind of uh, guys using it to help relax, go to sleep. Uh, I just talked to, uh, with Andre Godala on the podcast recently about a, po- a, um, a documentary he was part of called The Quest for Sleep. And it's about people with sleep issues. And he was talking about his experiences as a player. I've heard this over the years, a lot of times from guys playing like, you you play night games, you play back-to-backs, you have a lot of travel, sleep schedules are totally screwed up. And when we think about like what it takes to kind of come down after a game and then try to get a decent night's sleep, um, you know, that's when you start having these issues of like, well, some guys might be drinking and maybe it's, you know, that's not the best thing for your body um, for all kinds of reasons. Again, marijuana can help relax and it helps calm muscles and everything else. So um, I, I imagine a lot of guys that, you know, whether it was during your career or guys, you know, are using it for that purpose too, right? Not just pain uh, management, but as a kind of a, a sleep aid. Um, yeah. You know, that's one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest pain management, you know, is, is muscle relaxants and marijuana does that naturally, you know, so in order to, to heal a, a muscle, you know, you, you first got to relax it. So you know, marijuana is, is a natural, you know, relaxant. And um, I think, like I said, you know, the study has been shown where not only just athletes, but regular everyday, every, 
everyday people are also coming forward and saying that, you know, marijuana has, you know, helped them rid themselves of pain and um, and stuff and things like that. So it's just like I say, it's just one of those topic, topics that's that's been taboo for for quite some time. And it's going to take it's going to take a little minute to um, to remove the stigma of, you know, marijuana being a banned substance. No doubt. Um, all right. So banned or not and, and uh, outside the rules of the NBA or not, what percentage of, of players you think are probably using it anyway for all the reasons that we just talked about? Um, you know what? I, I don't even know. You know, when I was when I was playing, you know, I probably could take a better guess at it. But, yeah. you know, I, I I don't I don't know. Now, you know, they 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 came up with these new thing called time management and all this stuff. So. Load management, yeah. <laughs> yeah, load management, you know. So I don't know if the guys quite get, you know, beat up as bad. But um, I'm not quite sure on what percentage is, is trying it. But, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, I've tried it. It, it definitely worked for me. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out more about that, they can go to the website, which is BW for Ben Wallace, of course, BW Undrafted. Dot com. You can find uh, more information there. Uh, ben, let's talk a little bit of, uh, about the current season, if you don't mind. Um, you and Dikembe Mutombo, the only four-time defensive players of the year in the history of the NBA. So there is no more qualified person I could find to ask for your advice on filling out my ballot, which will be coming sometime <laughs> in the next few days. Uh, I don't know how close of attention you're paying to the current season or, or the DPOY candidates. Um, you got a favorite in there? Um, no, not really, man. I, you know, I really haven't been following it as, as close as I used to, you know, since now that I'm working with the Pistons or whatever, I started kind of focus, you know, a little more of my time and energy on the, on the team here. Yeah. But, um, I haven't been following it as, as close, you know, I know it's, it's a little disappointing, but (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. I, I haven't. Well, let me ask you this, because um, I was looking this up again. It's now been 26 years since Gary Payton won as a guard. Um, and in that time since then, so it's been all bigs, basically, power forwards and centers and power forwards and centers have been largely interchangeable in recent years, too. Um, there's only even, even been three small forwards to win in the last 26 years since Gary Payton won uh, Defensive Player of the Year in, in 96. And that was our test one year. Kawhi did it twice. Um have, have we leaned too far toward guys like you, the shot blockers, paint protectors, rim protectors at the expense of the guards? Or do you think this is the accurate reflection, right? That if you got a Ben Wallace, if you got a Rudy Gobert, that your whole defense flows from there. Um, where, where do you think this falls? Um, I think if it falls, it's always going to fall in the range of if you got a, good, a great interior defender, you know, your, t- your defense is going to be pretty solid. You know, if you got anybody that can challenge challenge um, a layup or dunk at the basket, you know your defense is going to be solid. Because one thing we can't do, to, I think the biggest reason that guards are not receiving this um, award is because our guards are are so good now. Hmm. You know, when it comes to shooting the basketball, they never get in defensive range most of the time. You know, they pulling up from the logo, so you know <laughs> they're not in defensive range. You haven't even started playing defense yet as a guard. But, you know, then when a guard steps out, that far out on the floor is going to give them an advantage to drive the ball to the basket. And that's what interior defenders are going to come in. And that's where you can defend, um, 
the defensive player of the year award been going to a power forwards and centers who can stand at the basket and protect the basket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because we, we say in this league, like everybody's so good, especially like the great guards, the great perimeter guys, no one's stopping anybody one-on-one on the perimeter, right? You're, what, you know, you talk about guys being able to just pull up from the logo. They also can blow by you, right? And it doesn't matter how great you are, you know, you know, Gary Payton in his prime transported to the present still isn't stopping John Morant from taking him off the dribble. Probably. Sorry, GP. Um, so it's not like you have lockdown guys, but you do have some great perimeter defenders, Marcus Smart, Mikhail Bridges, Matisse Thybul. And like, I want to reward these guys too. Like what they do is really freaking hard. Um, but if they get beat, you got Robert Williams, the time Lord behind you, or you got, you know, Joel Embiid or DeAndre Ayton behind you. Um, so, you know, there's, it's a little symbiosis there too, right? Like you could be great on the perimeter when you know you got somebody behind you. So maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe it still is about the bigs more than the, the guards. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I always told, you know, told my guys is, you know, it's, I know how tough it is to guard a, you know, um, a guard on the perimeter the way they handle the ball and the way they shoot the ball, you know. So, you know, I always just told them, you know, hey, I got your back. I'm right here, you know, force them here. Force them there, you know, let me help you. Let me show you why I'm out here, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, I was, I was, you know, pretty good at convincing my guys that, you know, um, that as, as good as anybody is on the offensive end, on the floor, I'm just as good on the defensive end. So, so let's take advantage of my talent on the defensive end of the floor and make some things happen. So, so it worked out. Your career was at the same time as, as obviously some of the all-time great bigs. And of course, you know, Shaq notably because you guys went up against each other in the, in the 2004 finals. You know what it's like to be battling guys bigger than you, taller than you and everything. You played way beyond your size. And then the centers kind of went away for a while, at least the offensive centers. And now we've got this renaissance going right going on right now, right? Jokic and Embiid, both among leading candidates for MVP. Uh, Giannis, not a center, but he's seven feet and he's... He's a, he's a something. I don't know. You know Giannis is just Giannis. There's, he's, they call him the Greek freak for a reason. But still, these are all seven-footers who are highly skilled and highly effective. If I'm now transporting prime Ben Wallace to the present, <laughs> <laughs> who of those three is giving you the biggest nightmare? Um, I mean, man, they all tough, man. You know, um, like you said, the game has evolved. The, the, the position of the big man has evolved you know, into more of a stress for, you know, a guy that can step out and, you know, knock down the trade ball and put the ball on the floor. So, you know, I hear people talking all the time if, you know, if, oh, if he played back in the day or if I played him now, you know what I'm saying? I, there's two different games, two different styles of basketball, you know, um, just like any great athletes, we're going to adjust to the style of the game that we play at. You know, maybe if I get a little time to get out there and adjust and get get warmed up and used to the style of the game that they're playing now, then, yeah, I have no doubt that I'd be affected. But, you know, to just say, take my past style of play and bring it to the present, you know, it might not work. You know, it's a different game out there. You know, yeah. they might be looking for something different. And um, so, but if I came into the game with the style of play that they playing today, then I would say that would be a different story. But it's hard to just take one way that you used to plan and try to come out here and think that you can you can play with these with these guys and the way they the way they get after it. So yeah. you know. 
But you were, I mean, you were athletic, mobile, big yourself, right? Like you could, you know, if you had to go take Giannis on, on the perimeter as well as guarding him inside, obviously he's got to, you know, he could probably score right over you because of that reach, right? But still, like, look, you, you were able to bang with Shaq. You could bang with Jokic. You could bang with Embiid. I, I, I got to think that the things that made you great in your time uh, would still translate. Now, if you're asking you to go down to the other end and step outside, I'm not asking Ben Wallace to shoot any threes. That's that's true enough. But d- defensively, you're, what you hung your hat on, I, I got to think translates okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have a problem defensively, or, you know, making an adjustment. But, you know, I think one of the reasons that I was, that I was able to dominate on the defensive end when I was playing was because a lot of guys – a lot of bigs played with their back to the basket. Yeah. And that's playing right into my hand when you when you're trying to match strength, you know. I normally give up size for his height and weight, but I always figured I can make it up with my strength and quickness. So when a guy put his turn his back to me, I feel like I got the advantage. But you know, like I say in today's game, you know, guys face up a lot. <laughs> so, you know, it's just have to, you just have to make so sudden adjustments to try to fit into the game. So but I think I can hold my own. But I'm just not one of these run one of these guys running around saying, "Oh, if I played today, like <laughs> you know, I noticed the difference in the game." <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, right? Like the I, I don't know if this happens in the other sports, Ben, but in the NBA, we're always it's like Scotty or T Mac or somebody is always like on TV, kind of saying like, "Ah, oh, these guys couldn't have hung back in the day," and like. I kind of laugh at it. I, I, I kind of like it in a way. I love the pride that's attached to the era. And we all are kind of prisoners of the era that we grew up either as fans in or if you played the game. Um, but it's kind of ridiculous. Was it Oak who said that Giannis could have survived back in the day? Like, that's insanity to me. Like, Giannis would have killed in any era, I think. Like, seven feet and, and could put the ball on the floor and shoot and drive past guys. Like, I, I mean, that that to me is kind of taking it too far. Yeah, I mean, but... But that's just the way the game of basketball works, man. That that's just how it works. You know, um, it's always gonna be that what if or who's the GOAT or who's the best this or who you think, you know, because it's just with basketball, it's just easy to look at, you know, two guys and say, Wow, this guy played today, he'll do this, he'll do that. But you don't judge by how he played, you know, um years past. You know, when when I came into the late to the league, you know, in um, in the late '90s, you know, the, the guys that had retired said the same thing about us. These guys soft, you know, they don't know how to play the game. You know, they they, you know what I mean. And then when we retired, we turn back and you know and, and take a peek at the guys now and say the same thing. Oh, these guys soft. They want to make it like we was playing. You know, it's just an ongoing trend with that, and yeah. it makes it make great conversation. Sure. You know, it was was mean. Basketball is always going to be exciting sport, and it's always going to you know be something to talk about. Um, your look back in the day with the fro was iconic, right? Like, fear the fro was like one of the great slogans too. Um, hard to imagine you without it, but you are now without it, I believe, even with the hat off. You got the baseball <laughs> hat on right now, but the um, I, it's like right now, like I cannot imagine James Harden without his beard. I've gotten so used to James. Like when you find, when you look back at like, see his like draft photo or college or whatever, it, it's, it's kind of freaky. Um, so I just, I was curious, like how long after retiring did you say, you know what, like, all right, the look was cool and it was great. And it was, and it was like, you know, we didn't talk about brand as much back then for players, but like that was your brand too. And it was, it was part right. of your persona. Um, was it hard to like decided to like, okay, 
like career's over. We're going to, we're going to move on new look. How long after retiring did you, did you ditch the fro? Well, actually I cut it off before I retired. I cut it off. When you were at the Bulls? My last year in Cleveland. Oh, in Cleveland. Okay. And then I came back to Detroit to retire. All right. I forgot about that. But the decision was pretty much made that, you know, that, um, that Shonda used to do my hair and we just had, had a daughter. We just had Bailey and, you know, I was like, I hope you, I hope I got you, um, I got you all the practice you need. You, <laughs> you got a little one to do our hair now. So, so I was just, I was just a test. I was just a test run until baby girl got here. <laughs> gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and now it's kind of been brought back. Like, I think you were probably the only one during your time uh, wearing the fro, but like Jared Allen's got a spectacular one going now. Uh, do you do you look now and, and see like your influence and like, are you rating them? Like, where does Jared Allen's fro rate on the Ben Wallace fear the fro meter? Uh, I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> like you say, um, it's crazy because, you know, I was telling the story uh, about a week ago that, when I first wore my afro out, you should have heard some of the things that was <laughs> that was being said about me. You know, um, thug, you know, um, all types of stuff, you know. And, uh, but sometimes as a professional athlete, as long as they talk about your hair and not your game, then I guess you're doing something right. So, <laughs> so I continue to do it, continue to do it. And then I, I started to see other guys, you know, start to wear their fro out. And, and that's when I was like, okay. And then I started to see kids on the street wearing the afros. And now you look around the league when I was like probably the only one that was doing it when I started out. Now, if you look around the NBA now, you got at least four or five afros on every team. So... So it's, I guess it's safe to say that, you know, I won that argument. <laughs> you left your mark. And, <laughs> and and presumably these guys aren't being subjected to the same kinds of, uh, let's just say, bullshit that, uh, you, that you were with some of the stuff that was being said. I'd like to think we are at least slightly more enlightened in this era than maybe, you know, 10, right. 20 years ago. Um, I, don't, I don't hear the thug word thrown around quite as much anymore. So that's, that's right. I guess, some, some sort of, of minor progress, right? Um, right. A couple, maybe, uh, a couple more before I let you go. Um, first of all, I saw you, you, you made a plug recently, and of course, you're a Pistons guy to the course. So you're going to make the plug for Rookie of the Year for your guy, Cade Cunningham. Um, he has been on fire recently. What do you think kind of fell into place for him? And I, I won't ask you why you, he should be chosen over Mobley and Barnes. That's, 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 a, that's a tough one. Well, I'll go figure that one out when I get back to the spreadsheets for, for the ballots. But um, what have you seen from Cade? Because obviously, as we all know, Tough position to play coming in as a rookie. It does take time. There's a learning curve. And, you know, Pistons are still in a bit of a, of a rebuild. Um, what have you noticed in, in Cade that's allowed him to kind of emerge late in the season? Uh, I think one of the biggest things is uh, his will to win. You know, um, his attention to detail. You know, he started his season off, um, you know, on, on the sideline. He was injured. Yeah. And, um, you know, the season sort of got started without him. So... You know, one of my biggest fear was, like every young guy, you know, that he would come back and and probably try to push it a little too hard to try to get back into to, to try to get into the swing of things instead of allowing the game to come to him. But um, but he came out and showed great pause. You know, I think he struggled like his first 
three games, but he stayed with it and continued to shoot the same shots and continue to make the same plays. And uh, and you can, I think one of the things that I appreciate the most about him is you can see it on the basketball courts. You can see the wheels turning, you know, when he handling the ball and he on the break and he checking and making sure guys are in their place. You know, that's the sign of a veteran point guard. And uh, he's doing that as a rookie. So that's the reason I said that um, that he, that he's on my list for the rookie of the year is not because he's Kay Cunningham and we drafted him in Detroit, which would be a good enough reason. But if you if you watch him play, you can actually see him, you know, learning the game and and um, and putting guys in place and and running the team and, and and you know doing things that it takes to win. Yeah, no, I, I, the the future in Detroit is starting to look brighter for sure. It's been a while since uh, since since your time, since that that run of you guys. What was it? Seven straight Eastern Conference Finals and and the two finals appearances. Yeah. Um. So, well, I want to end on that note. Two thousand four, that championship, very rare in this league, as you know, to win with no clear superstars. And that's not any knock on you, Chauncey, anybody, Rip Hamilton, anybody on that team. But like at that time. That was the way it was viewed. No superstars. They win a title. And that was a point of pride. Not That wasn't an insult. It's a point of pride. Um, and so actually, let me uh, quick fast forward. I want to go back to that for in a second. Nobody from that team made the NBA 75 list. Uh, you can you can be mad at me. I was I was among the voters. Um, but the, and it was tough, right? Like it was really, really tough to, to, to make those cuts. Across I won't even ask what went into the vote. I won't even ask what went into it. <laughs> uh, it. It was torture. Let me tell you, it was not easy. Like this was an honor to to be part of that uh, uh, committee of a hundred of us, or however many there were. It was not easy. Let me tell you, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, but is that again insult or point of pride that you guys could win a championship and beat a star laden team in the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, Carl Malone, Gary Payton, without? having somebody who is, is, was recognized at that moment and also still today historically not necessarily recognized in that same way? Um, one of our things was, you know, um, if, if there are no superstars on the team, then I guess you should – I guess you need a super team. Since we didn't have any superstars, we put together a super team. You know, um, like you say um, – one through five, you know, in that starting lineup was 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 guys that that I respected as as basketball players and as men, you know. So I knew they was gonna come out and you know just get it done night in and night out. So it made it easy for me to go out there and take care of my business because I had four other guys that was out there who I knew was gonna work just as hard, you know, at, at what they at what they was good at. So we looked at it as we had a super team, you know, you know, um, we wasn't, we weren't asking no one guy to carry us because we all felt like we were great players in our own right. So, but I think for the most part, we was able to play the game without getting in each other way. You know, everybody played their position and um, everybody covered their area of the floor and everybody worked in their worked on their area of the floor. So we didn't get in each other way. And, um, and, and I think one of the biggest thing was, one through 14, we was genuinely happy for the next guy. Mm. So we didn't care who was having that, that night. We made sure we pumped up that sideline and gave him that energy to keep it going. So that's what I'd say about, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys asked me a lot of different questions about basketball, about basketball and how was we able to do what we did. It was the fact that we was, 
we wasn't just teammates, we was friends. You know, you know, it was it was a brotherhood that was unshakable, undeniable. And and that's how we was able to go out there and get it done, man. We relied on each other and we just went out there and worked together as a unit. And no one's really done it since then, Ben. I mean, every team since and we just we've been through this whole like super team. You were talking about you guys as a super team. I guess small S. Now we were in what the big S super team era, right? It's you know the the Heatles with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, and it's you know Steph and Clay and Draymond, and for a while Kevin Durant, and it's so we have these big threes and big fours. Like nobody has won it the way that you guys did since then. Do you think we'll ever see like that that version of a champion, that combination, that special chemistry where you win it based? You know, it's not like you guys didn't have talent. It just wasn't recognized maybe appropriately at the time. It took you guys winning it for all of a sudden all of you guys to start getting all your individual accolades. So it it was kind of in reverse. But still, that team was built very differently. Um, I, I wonder if we, you know, if it could even happen again. Do you do you see a a version of that Pistons team emerging and and winning a title again in, in the uh, the near future? You know what? You know, one of the things I that I also say about that team is, is team teams like that have to be built, not bought. You know, we start talking about the big threes, you know, we, we look at that as, you know, you're trying to buy a championship, you know what I'm saying? And still trying to build a championship team. So, so for another team to, to, to come through and, you know, be able to win like that, I think it can be done, but it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things that, I, um, I don't think a lot of people have in this league patience. It's going to take some patience and take a little time. I think everybody now want to win tomorrow or today. You know, it's going to take, um, you know, a coaching staff, you know, a GM and an owner, you know, to, to come together and see a vision for, you know, five, six years down the road and not just settle for trying to win it all tomorrow. The way we used to talk about it was that you guys were the only champion in uh, like modern history, or maybe it was ever, to win without a single Hall of Famer. But then you made the Hall of Fame and you, you completely screwed up that particular description, that narrative. So uh, so c- con- congrats on that. Uh, the other guy, of course, that we've always talked about, like, was is Chauncey going to break through? Um, I, I have no insight into this. I am not part of, of that. That's a whole mysterious committee. Nobody knows who votes for the Hall of Fame or what they decide on. It's, it's one big mystery. But should Chauncey be next? Um, I definitely think Chauncey's up next. You know, um, you know, a guy, you know, finals MVP and, you know, now head coach in this league, you know, so proving that he can proving that he can do it both ways, you know, as a player and, you know, he can also coach and organize the team. So, you know, I think I think that's the thing that's going to give him the nod over everything. Yeah. No, he had, like you, a, kind of a unique career, multiple teams and, you know, wasn't that, you know, perennial MVP candidate type doesn't fit the model that we're used to for Hall of Famers, but he did it his way. He was as tough as anybody out there and he went up against the best of them and he was a finals MVP and helped you guys win a championship. So uh, we'd love to see that for him as well. Uh, ben, this has been a lot of fun, folks. Again, if you're interested in the uh, undrafted cannabis line, that's at uh, bwundrafted.com. You can find it there. Uh, Ben, wishing you all the best with it. Thank you so much for, for joining us for a little bit here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Ben Wallace and Stan Van Gundy. Thanks to our producers, Shelby Royston, Scott Brody, and Dan Bloom. And thank you all for listening. 
Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.